This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George. How are you doing, George? Very well, mate. Thank you. Not bad at all. How are you? Good. I don't know why I refer... I always refer to you as George Smith in the intro, and yet I've just gone for George. Maybe it's because we're recording a bit earlier on a Sunday this week, a little bit more laid back. Maybe. We can't afford to be laid back, though, because we've got a hell of a lot to get through in the next hour or so. Nine championship games to dissect and analyse on what was arguably the best weekend of championship football we've had this season, I'd say, George. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Definitely some, you know, action-packed game. Plenty of goals as well on Saturday. Really quite a few high-scoring games after what was a, you know, a pretty sparse and boring midweek set of fixtures, to be fair. Yeah, absolutely. And for once, we've not got any uh, managerial sackings or changes to talk about. So it's all about the football on this week's pod. And we're looking forward to diving into that over the next hour or so. As always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChadPod24. Massive thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you're going to check them out. And on today's podcast, as we've already alluded to, we'll be diving into an action-packed weekend where all of the top three lost. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Now we're going to start our roundup, George, at Carrow Road, where Norwich City were beaten at home for the first time this season. Preston North End coming away with a 3-2 victory. I don't know what's more of a shock. Norwich losing at home in the Championship. They'd only lost two of 27 in the second tier at Carrow Road, or the fact that Preston scored three goals in a game when they've only managed four all season prior to Saturday. Um, Really good win this for Preston, really good week for them after a 1-0 win over West Brom in the week as well. Probably should have been had a man advantage for more of the game, uh, given that Sam Byron somehow escaped a red card for his challenge on Alan Brown. That was a, a red card tackle, only seen yellow. But, the change of personnel has definitely helped Preston this week score score four goals in two games, which is say pretty unheard of based on the the previous examples of this season. Um, Robbie Brady changing positions; he's obviously been playing left wing back for most of the season, going into a more advanced midfield role, which I think has added some creativity. Fernandez, the loanee from Manchester United, coming in at left wing back, and also Alan Brown moving into right wing back away from his usual home in central midfield with. Ali McCann coming in alongside Ben Whiteman and, and Brady in that midfield trio. Um, and Fernandez, like Brady, someone that, that can offer an, an attacking threat. Cunningham moving to left centre-back. A little bit of a reshuffle. Same formation, same beliefs, same philosophy from Ryan Lowe, but a little bit of freshness in the team by, by rotating some of the players, moving them around. And it certainly had the desired effect going forward. I think you can see in there, the numbers have been not too bad all season, in fairness. They've underscored their XG for most of the campaign, but there has been a spike in the last week. And on the evidence of the weekend, McCann, Brady, Emil Reese with an absolute thumping header for the equaliser in particular. Preston, good value for this win. Norwich, as I say, could have been had a man sent off much earlier in the game, but Preston, good value. 
without a doubt. Um, <laughs> quite simply, what a difference a week makes. It's as simple as that for Preston. It's been a remarkable few days for them. I mean, West Bromwich Albion, they're, they're in disarray at the minute. We'll talk about them, I'm sure, at some point with the way things are going for them. But they got that win in the week and they followed it up with a superb win at Norwich. And we've all sat here this season so far and poked fun at Preston, not for the case they've been that bad, just for the, you know, how unique it's been and the fact that they've not scored goals, they've barely conceded goals. It's just been an absolutely bizarre start. But when you look at it now after back-to-back wins in a space of three or four days, they're right in amongst in what is proven to be an incredibly tight promotion picture. They're eighth in the table. They've lost two in 13. I think they've kept nine clean sheets in that time. And they've gone to the league leaders and toppled them and scored three goals. And for Ryan Lowe, he will be so, so pleased to see his side finally, you know, show some ruthlessness at the top end of the pitch and to score three goals away from home at the league leaders. Well, uh, jointly leaders, I should say. It's a remarkable effort and a brilliant result because obviously nobody else has managed it this season. So, you know, we've all looked at Preston and we've had a little bit of a chuckle about their inability to score goals and the bizarre start they've had. But all of a sudden, after those two wins in the last few days, they've had a remarkable start to the season, really. And I backed them to progress this season under Ryan Lowe after a full summer of working with him. And there's early signs are there that they are doing that. So it's a, you know, a fantastic result for them. Like you say, the change in personnel, the change in system has worked a little bit for what they've done. Alvaro Fernandez has been really impressed by him the last couple of games. He's on loan from Man United. I know United rate him highly. He's got, you know, quite a future there. And United have certainly got two decent fullbacks out on loan at the minute. Ethan Laird at QPR. So the future's bright, you'd think, for them. But Preston's certainly benefiting from him at the minute. And for Emil Reese, you know, he's had a bit of a bit of a stuttering start to the campaign. Three goals now in his last two games. It's brought his season alive. So all of a sudden, in the space of a few days, Preston have gone from kind of not necessarily being mocked, but they've gone from being kind of a little bit sort of looked at and thought, what are they actually doing? It's just weird what's gone on. To all of a sudden, yeah, they, they could be considered as playoff contender this season. If you can go to Norwich and win, you can you can beat anybody in this league. So really good few days for Ryan Lowe. Long may it continue. And for me, that, that goes down as one of the shot results of the season so far. There's definitely loads of examples we're going to touch on of teams that have just had good weeks and it's just it just shows how tight the table is because they've shot up. Brilliant. And equally, teams that have only picked up one or no points that have plummeted as well. So with things so tight at the minute, nobody is equally more than three games away from a disaster and no one equally is three games away from having an unbelievable season. And there's some really good examples of that which we'll touch on later. It feels like there's some teams really picking up some some form and, and getting ahead of steam. Um, and you talk about teams that look where they were a week ago. Stoke City, brilliant week for them, collecting four points. With Stoke City rounding off their week with a 3-1 win over Sheffield United, George. And given how badly they were beaten up by Watford last week, this just shows how quickly your fortunes can change. Really good point against Burnley in the week. And then to go and beat the joint league leaders coming into the weekend, Really, really positive for them. They were good value, although they did ride the luck a little bit at some times with some last-ditch defending, some good goalkeeping. But if you beat any quality side in the Championship, a team riding high at the top of the division like Preston did, you're going to have moments where you're under siege, you're under pressure, and you need your big players at the back and the goalkeeper to step up and make some saves. Very rarely are you, as a a mid-table team or a team out of form, going to beat one of the challenges for promotion and, and not need to rely on your goalkeeper or your back line at times. So they were good value. Um, went to a back four, which I thought made sen- it, it makes sense to me because I don't think they've necessarily got personnel that screams 
should be playing a back three. And by the same token, they've got so many good attackers that playing a back four makes more sense to me to get as many of those on the pitch. And it was Campbell to the right, uh, Fosu to the left, who's someone who's had to play at wing back and not looked entirely comfortable. And uh, Dwight Gale leading the line. So more square pegs in square holes, which I think is what Alex Neal needs to do going forward. Phil Jagielka scoring against his former club, of course, which uh, was a great story. He came into the, the heart of defence alongside Ben Wilmot instead of Aidan Flint. So Alex Neal's still trying to find his best team, find his best system, but things looking a damn sight better than they did um, seven days ago when they were they were so bad against against uh, Watford as well. So really good week for them. Good to see Liam Delap score his first goal as well. They'll be hoping that can kickstart him to get plenty more, but a good win for Stoke. Oh, without a doubt, massively. And, you know, you kind of look at Alex Neal's first few games in charge and, you know, Stoke weren't performing particularly well, but they weren't exactly getting thumped in those games. So you do wonder, maybe the, the Watford result was a bit of a wake-up call that they possibly needed in the long run to try and put a rocket up the backsides a little bit. And like you say, what a week it's been to get a point at Burnley and then beat Sheffield United. That's a that's an outstanding week's effort for any side with the way those two have been going recently. Um Scuppered your bankers, shall we say, for both of them. You obviously went for Burnley midweek and Sheffield United at the weekend. So It's very difficult didn't, to do it when there's a mid- <laughs> midweek slate. Didn't quite go I, according I to plan. I can't wholeheartedly say I'd have picked well, the same bankers if we'd done it on Mine Thursday didn't go much better, to... did it? Let's be honest. Mine didn't go much better. Well, people in glass houses should stop throwing stones then. Well, you know, I've got to get a little dig in. You know, you do it to me. Works both ways. Never. No, exactly. But no, let's be honest, Stoke, what a week for them. Yeah, really, really impressed by them from what I saw against the Blades on Saturday. You know, Phil Jagielka, 40 years old, goal and an assist. What an afternoon for him. What a ball it was as well. It was, it was unbelievable. It was a fantastic goal for Wilmot. It was a brilliant goal. And obviously Liam Delap off the mark with a striker's finish. And for him, that is a big moment. He's now got to really, really try and use that to kick on because we've seen he's had, you know, he's had quite a few opportunities at Man City under Pep Guardiola and you don't get games under Pep Guardiola if you've not got something about you. So he's really got to try and kick on from this and come alive now. And for Alex Neal, he'll be delighted because, you know, he will have been feeling the pressure after that Watford defeat. Obviously, he controversially left Sunderland to take this job. Didn't get off to the best of starts. Obviously, got a lot of people in the northeast laughing at him for what he'd done and the way things were mapping out. But so we've got results like this in the last few days. Fantastic week's work for them. And I look forward to... Stoke's next few fixtures, and I think it's an opportunity for them to kick on. They've got Preston away next, then they've got back-to-back home game against Rotherham and Coventry. So, you know, that, that is a really good opportunity to continue and build on that win over Sheffield United, certainly those two home games that are coming up. So, for Stoke now, they've just got to try and build on that, and that's all they can do. But a really impressive win, good result, and four points from Burnley away and the Blades at home. You couldn't really ask for more, especially after what happened against Watford last weekend. We probably shouldn't be surprised because I think if there's one manager in the division that, after getting a, a you know a tonking like they got against Watford, what's one manager that that can go back to basics and just reset? And that is probably yeah. Alex Neil. Just gather the group back in, become more I'd solid. Agree with that. Um, and they've done that this week. Some people will look at Sheffield United back to back defeats and wonder if the wheels have come off. I'm not having it personally. I think there is so many obvious reasons why Sheffield United have, have struggled in these last two games. They've created a bucket load of chances, it's worth saying. So they're still playing quite well. The performances have been good. And their squad is just absolutely battered by injuries. I'm sorry, but when you've got the amount of players out they've got, I am not surprised they've lost these two games of football. They had 12 senior outfield professionals available 
on Saturday. Two of which have just come back from long-term injuries in Billy Sharp and Ben Osborne, who are on the and, bench. You know, to be honest, they've lost back-to-back games. They're obviously in the midst of an absolute injury crisis. We've not seen anything like this for quite a while, but they're still top of the league. So, you know, they've got to take comfort from the fact that others around them have slipped up as well at the same time. And like what I thought this morning, they've taken one point from the last nine on offer and they're still top. So it's not all bad. You know, it's unfortunate they've lost back-to-back games. Paul Heckingbottom won't be happy about it, but they're still in a very good position in what is, you know, already looking like it's going to be an incredibly tight promotion race. I still think Sheffield United are the best team in the league, even though they've lost these two games. Let's let's be fair, let's look at them. They lost to QPR. Bad goalkeeping error, which is very unusual for Wes Fodderingham. The injuries are ridiculous. I mean, on top of who they had already got out, they lost Baldock, McBurney, Jaden Bogle and Sander Berger from the team that played in midweek. So they lost four key players, which would be enough not to throw in on top of... I know people will get bored of us doing this, but Ender Stevens, Jack, Clark, uh, Jack Robinson, Jack O'Connell... Uh, um, uh, Ahmed Ahmed Hodzic um, but there are so many they've got so many out they've got buckets of players out of it it's incredibly unfortunate to get this amount of injuries in one go and it's obviously it's all players at the back as well and it's the the one area of the team that you you want to keep as consistent as possible and you know but Paul Heckingbottom obviously this crisis it started several weeks ago so you know They've got a good haul of points out of what it has been. So, you know, you're going to experience a bad patch, but if Sheffield United are going to have it while they've got this amount of players in the treatment room, it's probably the best time to have it. But, you know, they've had a very good start to the season. Heckingbottom, again, we should say, manager of the month for the second month running on Friday. He, he, you know, he's doing a really good job in the circumstances. And I'm sure they'll bounce back sooner rather than later. No need to yep. panic at all for them. No concerns about the Blades. QPR, George, the form team, arguably in the championship. And they are now up to third level on points with Norwich and Sheffield United on 24. After beating Reading 2-1 on Friday night. Really good game this. Watched, watched a large chunk of it. Um, and... Good to see Lyndon Dykes back on the score sheet with a birthday brace. The first good header to equalise uh, from a penalty by Andy Carroll and then scoring the the late winner from the spot. I thought both penalties were penalties. No complaints. Uh, Tim Irregbrunner involved in both. First giving away the foul on Lucas Joao and then getting bundled over in the box by Loom. It was a really daft tackle, I thought, for the, for the QPR penalty late on. He just wipes him out. It's quite an inexperienced tackle from a player that's not that inexperienced. So... Paul Lynch will be frustrated with his side not getting something from the game because I don't think there was buckets in it in, in 90 minutes, but definite penalty on both. And QPR gathering some momentum after a superb week. We touched on him on the pod last week and raved and thought they, they could really kick on and then go into win against Sheffield United and beating Reading, albeit we'd expect them to have beat Reading at the start of the season, but a Reading side that sat third before the weekend. Really, really good week for Mick Beal's R's, who are now third in the table. They look very, very good. Very, very good. And doing it um, without Chris Willock, it's worth saying. Yeah, obviously, you know, we've we've mentioned that, haven't we, this season, that Chris Willock, can they cope without him? Because the results of the, you know, the first few weeks of the season without him weren't so good. When he returned, they really picked up. So, really important they got a win without him on, on Friday night, just to, you know, kind of, hit home at the doubters, thinking that they can cope without his presence on the pitch. So, Mick Beale, you know, he came in as an unknown quantity and he's he's had an amazing start to the season there. Obviously, three games they've won in a row now, four wins in five, 
five unbeaten, three clean sheets in that run. Things are looking promising. They really are. And I put a tweet out on the podcast Twitter account last week asking about McBeal and what QPR fans had made to his start of the season. And one person actually put that he's the manager that they've trusted the most so far since the days of Neil Warnock. So that's quite a compliment for him. And you can sense that the players are warming to what he wants from them. The fans are obviously enjoying what he's getting them to produce. And as well, the fact is they've only lost three times this season and all of them have been narrow 1-0 defeats. So they're looking really, really good. And, you know, if the, you know you can go to Sheffield United and win, you can beat a fellow promotion contender, albeit early days in Reading as well, finding a way. It was one of those games where they had to dig in and they got a penalty, but they found a way. And that feels like a really, really big win, that one. Friday night, under the lights, penalty relatively late on, win the game. And, you know, for QPR now, they're not going to fear anybody. And I look at their upcoming fixtures. This is a golden opportunity for them to really, you know, announce themselves in this automatic promotion race. They've got Luton away next. Then they've got back-to-back home games against Cardiff and Wigan. Not easy, but certainly games you'd fancy a team of QPR's quality win up United to win. Then they've got Birmingham away. Then potentially, depending on how it looks later down the line, 2nd of November, they've got Norwich away. That could be a huge game. So, a big opportunity for QPR to lay down a marker in this race. It's good to see Lyndon Dykes getting a couple of goals. Fantastic header for his first, it must be said, on Friday night. Excellent goal, that one. And it's just all looking so good for them. They're playing really good football. The fans are evidently enjoying it. And, you know, Mick Beal, for me, I think at the time at the time of right it saying this, I think he would be probably the, the golden contender. Of, I know, I'm so used to writing. The time of writing. I know. <laughs> Showing my showing my job there, aren't I? I was so often right in that. But let's be honest, I think, you know, if you were looking at it, I think he'd be a golden contender for manager of the season so far, without a doubt, for the job he's done. Done done brilliant. And you can sense the fans are enjoying it. The players are clearly enjoying the way he's got them playing. And, you know, he's looking like a very, very shrewd addition for a manager that we personally had never heard of. And, you know, the minute, you know, doing a terrific job and long may it continue, they're looking a really, really good side. Never been a manager, so in our defence, obviously. Well, you know what I mean. Under twenty three's yeah. coach. Great success with uh, Steven Gerrard as assistant manager, and showing that he's got the the qualities to to do it as a number one. Plenty of positivity in West London as QPR go up to third, and the momentum keeps on gathering. Another side, George, that seemed to be really gathering pace. Swansea City, big week for them. Six points. It's now four wins in a row for Russell Martin side who. Started so poorly, you were very hot on them in pre-season and now that's looking a little bit more justified with the recent run of form. A late winner against Watford in the week, header from Ben Cabango and they were good value for the victory against Tony Mowbray Sunderland here as well. Dominated the first half, got themselves into a two-goal lead. Harley, uh, Harry Darling scoring a scruffy goal from a set piece to put them two up. Lots of good performers at the minute for Swansea. Some players really, really stepping up. Ryan Manning seems to be in the form of his life at left wing back. A player I've always quite rated. For, you know, odd to think he was playing left centre back rather than at wing back at one point under Russell Martin last season. But he's brilliant in the final third. Really like him as a left wing back. Think he's got great quality from wide areas. Jay Fulton getting really good reviews in for this performance. And they've got options in attack, you know, at West Brom. He brought on Encham and, and Obafemi and they scored the equaliser and winning goal. Um, today, it was Ollie Cooper, who's who's had a breakthrough season, keeping Obafemi on the bench. So they've got options in attack as well. It's no longer of uh, a guaranteed trio of Patterson, um, Obafemi and, and Joel Pirot. 
He's got options. He can rotate that forward line and they are benefiting from it. And Swansea really starting to kick into gear now. They're up to fourth in the championship table and justifying why a lot of people had them down, yourself included, as dark horses before a ball was kicked. Yeah, I I saw signs towards the end of last season that I thought they were going to be amongst it this season. From from the start of the season where they were struggling, you know, I saw them obviously during that bad spell when they were turned over by Blackburn 3 0. But clearly something has clicked other than just rotating the players a little bit more, which was something that they weren't doing at the start of the season. Well, something's obviously, you know, Russell Martin's obviously worked on something and whatever it is, it certainly worked. But I think, like you said, that. One thing you're noticing with Swansea this season is they are scoring goals via other sources rather than Piro and Obafemi, who, you you know, didn't get anywhere near as much credit from a, across the league as they, they deserved last season. They scored a lot of goals between them, towards, certainly towards the end of the campaign, Obafemi did. So, you know, they're sharing the load and sharing the burden this season. So that's a really promising sign. But I mean, for Swansea at the minute, they are coming up at a rapid rate of knots. It's the first time they've won four league games in a row in more than three years. So, you know, it's it's really good going what Russell Martin's onto. It was August 2019, the last time they won four championship games in a row. I mean, they've won five and six now. They've only lost one of the last seven. They are really looking a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, Swansea, we you look at them and obviously they were they were a Premier League club not all that long ago, but they've never even though obviously they got to the playoff final under Steve Cooper not so long ago. They've never really been a team that's consistently been knocking on the very top of the championship, you know, for a full season. No, and you, quite you think to sell and go again each season, aren't they? Could this year, you know, in a, in a race that's already looking incredibly tight, could they be one, you know, a bit like QPR to get in among the, the big boys of the division, like your Burnley, Sheffield United, your Norwiches? They've got a real chance. And with the quality they've got in abundance throughout the squad, I think... You know, the recruitment in the summer was good. I think Harry Darling, as I said at the start of the season, was going to be a good signing. I've seen really good signs from him. Did have a and, difficult you know, start, though, and came out the side did, for a but, little bit and has now come back in and overall, he looks someone though, he's from that, that reset. He's done really, really well. And, you know, when you consider what Swansea did in the summer in terms of their recruitment, they didn't really strengthen anything at the top end of the pitch to score, you know, increase the goals tally. So they recognised that that was a problem that they'd already solved with Obafemi and Pirro. So they've recruited well, they've recruited wisely. And you look at them now and you think they are genuinely going to be in this mix this season. And we've already spoken about Preston coming up, uh, you know, moving nicely now. QPR on a good run. Swansea have got just as big a right to be in this in this chasing pack. And you look at their next few games, really, really big fixture. And this will be an indicator, I think, of where Swansea are at. Their next three, they've got Burnley away, Reading at home. And then the big one at home to Cardiff. So, you know, these are three really big games, two home games in that. But, you know, going to Burnley next weekend, obviously Burnley in great form themselves. But Swansea, what what have they got to lose? Burnley will be, be conscious of them. They'll be fearing them because they're looking a really good side. And like you said, obviously at West Brom last weekend, Russell Martin changed things up, did the same at Watford in midweek. So he's got that tactical flexibility in games to make the right calls at the right times. So to me, and let's not forget after that, you know, a little bit of a slow start of the season. I did see some Swansea fans calling for his head. It just proves managers need give him a little bit of time, bit of patience. It's clear that Swansea managers have always been the one, you know, overseeing a football philosophy and a long-term project. Said that when he got the job, it wouldn't happen instantly with the way he wanted Swansea to play. 
and then they're coming up trumps now and they're looking a really well-oiled side so them preston qpr you know th- this promotion race is is going to be very intriguing for us as neutrals this season good story as well in goals Ven bender coming back in uh in the in this at the start of this good run replacing fisher bender for anyone that doesn't remember came in for freddie woodman as the new number one under russell martin well, under Steve Cooper, I suppose, really, he was recruited. Didn't work out. Really poor start. Had an absolute shocker at home to Blackburn. Uh, away at Blackburn, sorry, on the opening day of last season in particular stands out. Got loaned to Peterborough in last January for the second half of the season. Swansea signed there. Russell Martin's previous number one at, at MK Dons. Fisher in gold, someone who they thought was better at playing out for the back, more suited to his style. And Bender's been given a chance with Fisher dropped during this the, the initial poor start to the season. Bender's come in and he's earning really good reviews, doing well in, and keeping Fisher on the bench. So that's a really nice story as well. Sunderland point of view, they're just feeling the effects of having no strikers. I think Jack Clark looks really bright despite the, the poorish run of form that they're in now. But I think that as we expected with Sunderland, we always said this no matter who was in charge, whether it was Alex Neal, Tony Mowbray, we said that the first 11 was very good and could potentially challenge in the top 10 of the championship, but a couple of injuries and they didn't have the depth. And obviously it's a, it's a bit of a cruel blow and um, to lose both of their two strikers, Ellis Sims and Ross Stewart at the same time. So without a doubt that, you know, any, any side is going to feel the effects of that. We saw how good Ross Stewart was in league one last season. He started this season brilliantly well, but in Jack Clark's defense, I've actually had a look at his stats this morning, four goals, four assists already for him this season. So that's, you know, that's a good return. So, you know, Sunderland fans will be disappointed with how, you know, recent results have gone, especially drawing at home at nil-nil at Blackpool in midweek. That big game they would have looked at and targeted three points from. But, you know, once Stewart and Sims are back, after especially how well they linked up in the first few games this season, I think Sunderland will be fine. And considering they're newly promoted, let's not forget they, they are in a very healthy position after, you know, 13 games, 11th in the table. They, they'd have taken that, especially after the upheaval of losing the manager as well. Yeah, after a turbulent yeah spell in the in the dugout, of course. So, totally understandable why why they're not quite firing on all cylinders right now. Maybe the shot result in the Championship this weekend, George? Probably Preston, but Blackpool 3, Watford 1, certainly a, a slight turn up. But also one that has been bubbling a little bit. The, the performances from Blackpool in recent weeks have been better than the points tally would suggest. They were very unlucky. They probably deserved a point against Norwich last weekend. Lost 1-0, defensive error, gifting Timu Puki that goal from Don Thompson. 0-0 draw at Sunderland in the week. And then beating Watford 3-1 at Bloomfield Road. Gary Medine getting things off to a start. Could have crumbled when loser popped a free kick in. Beautiful strike. He's going to be a really good player when he's playing. I could, you could see the quality last week in the Fauna winner against Stoke when he came on for half an hour and, and could have got man of the match, to be honest. Brilliant strike, but Blackpool didn't cut crumble and, and Jerry Yates turned one in for 2-1 and then turned into Maradona sensational second goal unbelievable quality I think this one weren't bad either to use a popular phrase of yours if that had been in the Premier League would have been talking about that for for years and years to come we would have been match of the day we wouldn't have got enough of it no really good goal from Jerry Yates and and that gives Blackpool a 3-1 win they've they've struggled for goals recently of course since Bowler's gone and this was a really important win probably an unexpected win but one that the performances have probably deserved in recent weeks, where they've not quite got the points tally that, that those displays have earned. They have, certainly. Performances have been there for Blackpool. And 
I actually put a thing out on the podcast Twitter page. I think it might have been Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, something like that after the Sunderland game. And I put to Blackpool fans, how concerned are you by the fact that you've failed to score in X amount of games, whatever it was, I can't remember the numbers specifically, since Josh Bowler had left. And, you know, the numbers did not make good viewing. It was since he left something like they scored one goal in five or six games. And, you know, it was evident that from literally from the game he'd gone, the goals had dried up. And that was our concern for Blackpool. But Jerry Yates all of a sudden has come alive and produced two moments of absolutely amazing quality. And like you said, the performance against Norwich last week deserves something from the game. They did play well. So performances have been there and other sides have been like that this season, to be fair, where they've not got what they've deserved. So for Michael Appleton, that win against Watford, not only is it a big statement of intent and a big victory, it's a real one that lays down a marker and says, we can compete this year without Josh Bowler. We can cope without him. And if you've got Jerry Yates being able to do moments of quality like that, you're going to be just fine. So that's a really big win for Blackpool on Saturday because I did fear the way things had gone in recent weeks. Even though the performances had been there, I feared them getting sucked into this bit of a battle that's emerging at the bottom of the table. So it's just given them a little bit of breathing space, uh, you know, heading into this week of a free week without two, with only two games in the championship this week before next weekend. So for them, they've got to try and push on now. That's that's the task for them. But, you know, like you said, performances have been there, so they're not too concerned. And let's just paint a picture to be out, you know, saying that Blackpool have been so bad, one win and they'd be up to 10th. It just proves how tight it is. So, you know, they're doing okay. They've obviously had the upheaval of losing their manager, losing their best player. And, you know, they were always going to feel the effect of that. But a big, big win at the weekend, impressive win, and one they definitely needed after obviously quite a few weeks without a home victory. Absolutely. Billich, Billich under pressure, could be gone by the World Cup, back-to-back defeats. Well, lost as many games now in a week than Rob Edwards did in 10 games. Better get that hey, statement ready for me. true? Jeez, I wasn't... Yeah. Oh they better get that statement ready. Commit- yep, Rob Edwards lost two. Of, Rob Edwards lost two of his first ten. Billich has lost two of his first three. I think they've got That's to make I mean. a change personally. I think they've got to what, keep up the Watford spirit. Get him gone. New man in by the weekend. But no, seriously, it's you know all of what happened last Sunday at Stoke. Brilliant win for Watford. The perfect start, and all of a sudden it's just unravelled rapidly. They've conceded five goals in two, only scored two. It's not good, to be fair. It's you know it's been far from the dream start for Slaven Bilic, and it just makes you wonder with Watford with the players they've got. You know, how how long is it going to be before it's going to be considered really really bad? Because with the team they've got, they should be riding high at the top of this league, and all of a sudden they're twelfth. Sunderland have got as many points. Cardiff have got more points. Preston have got more points, and Watford already seven points off the top. And there was a long 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 way to go, but. You know, fans are going to get itchy feet. And for Billich, he's got to sort it out quickly with a Watford reputation, really, hasn't he? He definitely has. Blackburn Rovers 3, Rotherham United nil. The win-loss run continues for Rovers with seven wins and six defeats from their first 13 under Yondal Thomason. Five wins in seven at home. Ewood Park definitely becoming a little bit of a fortress under the radar. The home form's been, been really good, to be fair, this season. They also beat... Hartlepool United 4-0 in the Carabao Cup, which you can't put too much in, but six wins from eight, technically in all comps. Really entertaining game, this. and That's not something I've been able to say about that many Blackburn Rovers games, certainly of late. The the Millwall win last weekend was pretty dross, to be honest. It wasn't a great game, particularly first half. This was a fantastic game of football. For any like a neutral and championship fan, it was a great game to watch. 
both teams trading blows. The first half was just really open. Rotherham had, had big chances to get in front. They hit the post at nil-nil with Tom Eaves on a, a 4v2 counter-attack where they probably should have scored. Rathbone and Ben Wiles both had shots saved and, and just wide from distance. So Rotherham definitely first half gave gave as good as they got, probably should have gone in level in terms of the, the balance of the game. It, re- it really was end-to-end, which was just a complete contrast from the ball fest we'd had 12, seven days ago at home to Millwall. Really, really good game. And Blackburn were, were equally very good value for their win. Um, led for a penalty from uh, from Ben Berriton Diaz, his first of the of two he got in the afternoon. Really good move, Scott Wharton punching a pass into Harry Pickering. They, they played with inverted wing backs, Blackburn. Ryan Hedges, obviously, naturally a left footer playing at right wing back. Although, when I say he played at right wing back, I actually mean he played at right wing back when they didn't have the ball. When they had the ball, he played anywhere but right wing back. Number 10 popped up on the left wing. He was all over the place, which is something we saw against Millwall as well. But the story of this game from a Blackburn perspective, Sammy Smodics um, was was dropped to the under-21s just before the international break against Luton. They lost 2-0. He played for the 21s. And when you've, you've come to the club for £1.7 million in the summer, that's going to raise some eyebrows. But Yondal Thompson's got a very open process of he would rather put players in the 21s to get 90 minutes than have them sat on the bench where they might not come on or, or be sharp. And Smodix is a great example of that, where he started at Cardiff, didn't have the best game in the world, but they didn't play well generally. But really good performance, lovely cross for the second goal, which Brereton Diaz snuck in at the back post. And then great link, link up play with Tyrese Dolan, sent scampering through. He had plenty of time to think about it and a, a cool finish in between the legs of the goalkeeper. So, Really good story with for him. And once that second goal went in, Blackburn were cruised past Rotherham. Rotherham looked shot physically. They ran out of steam. And for Rotherham, I wouldn't be too worried, they, they, but they've got to get the first goal in, in games like that. Where And that, that was what Mark Taylor said after the game. They've got to get the first goal where they're creating chances as they were. But once that second goal went in, Blackburn cruised to victory, got the third as well. And... The most important thing was that there was a lot of players that had their best games this season. I would say Scott Wharton, Tyler Morton was really good in central midfield, Harry Pickering, and probably the goalkeeper Thomas Kaminsky, who's not had a howler yet, but equally there's been probably three or four goals that have gone in where you've gone, "Mm, could he have done a little bit better? So the big challenge for Blackburn is backing it up because obviously every time they they produced a great performance, you know, best performance of the season was Watford at home. They then went and lost 2-0 at Luton and they were awful. They were really good. They, you know, they were decent in the second half against Millwall. Then lost at Cardiff and were pretty awful. Really, really good second half against against Rotherham. Decent first half as well, but particularly, I would say the second half against Rotherham, the first half against Watford, the best two forty-five minute performances they put together. But they've got to go and back it up at Wigan. That's the thing, isn't it? It's it's very similar in a way to to Wigan in the sense that Wigan are brilliant away but not so good at home. Blackburn are brilliant at home, but not so good away. It's really strange. But certainly one thing I guarantee with Blackburn is goals. That's one thing for sure. You either end of the pitch. So certainly going to be good entertainment value this season. But they needed that win on uh, on Saturday, didn't they? After that defeat at Cardiff in the week. Obviously, disappointing result, that one. But like you said, I think you've summed it up. And end of the day, you're the Rovers, man. They, they've got to find a way to be consistent. That is the biggest problem. They can't keep winning and losing week after week in a constant sequence. 
it's it's not going to serve them well, even though, let's be fair, on the face of it, they've had a good start to the season for a new manager and, and things like that. But Definitely. they're just a bit more consistent. That's the that's the biggest issue. And that is the only thing you can find fault with Blackburn so far, uh, as well as their inability to score goals away from home. And I don't know if you saw that stat the other day, that Blackburn have now failed to score in more league away games than any other side in the EFL this calendar year. So that's got to be an issue beyond all Thomason to address, but he can't solve everything overnight. And he's come in, obviously, trying to transform the style, change the club, the culture of everything. And he's taken seven wins from the first 13 games. So, you know, it's not bad going at all. They're right in the mix. They're three points off the top of the league. You can't be too critical with that. They've, You know, they've had a few questionable performances, but they've also had some very good ones as well. So it's literally just the consistency. That's the only problem. Obviously, Ben Burton Diaz now, Starting to go up for the gear and starting to show what he did last year. A couple of goals at the weekend. Lovely taken goal from Dolan as well. <laughs> Smodix, I should say. Um, and, you know, let's be honest. Sammy Smodix came in in the summer, like you said, for quite a, a sizable transfer fee. Had a good season with Peterborough last year. He's He's been, you know, a player that's always been pretty predominant in the Football League in recent years. I remember him years back when he was at Colchester United. And I, I noticed that he was a player that was getting decent numbers. So for him now, now he's got that goal, he will be hoping to really kick on and get back in the team. Because obviously he had the dream start scoring in that game at Swansea on his debut back in August. Uh, and obviously things have just fallen by the wayside a little bit for him. So for him, that will have done him wonders on Saturday. Ben Burton deals a couple of goals as well, as I say. So the perfect afternoon at the office, but they've just got to solve this away from. That is the only thing holding them back. But as I've already said many times in the last nearly 40 minutes, you know, in what is looking like, it's been an incredibly tight promotion race. Blackburn are right in the thick of it and you can't ask for more. Yeah, absolutely. There's two ways of looking at it. No one's won more games than Blackburn this season. Seven. Only one team has lost more games than Blackburn this season. Six. So if they <laughs> Weird, could just turn some of those defeats away from home into draws, it would, you know, they've got Wigan and Middlesbrough away next next week. Now, you could easily say, four points or six points should be targeted given where they are and where the other two teams are and more so Wigan's struggles at home. If they take two points next week, I think that's a good week because they've just got to start turning some of those defeats into draws. And if they keep the home form going, which I think they will, they'll be right up there in terms of challenging for the top six, which would be an overachievement for where they are in the process of, of redeveloping the club under Yondal Thompson. And there's a lot of inconsistency across the division. Not quite as much as Blackburn. No one else has got a no-draws policy. But little bits will, will make a big difference. I think those little few points, if they can start turning some of those defeats to draws. And Thomason knows that. Um, but it's been it's you know it's always looks better when that 13th game goes to seven wins. If it had been six wins and seven defeats, I think there'd be a little bit of unrest. And given how tight things are, it would the table would look quite different too. Rotherham, as I say, really good in the first half. Just ran out of steam. They, I, I'm quite confident they will not go down playing like that. But as Matt Taylor said post-match, they've just got to get in front and put the pressure on the home fans and the home team by getting in front when, when they're creating a lot of chances. Oh, Benny was brilliant, I have to say, particularly first half. He definitely won't be a Rotherham player next season. He's out of contract. Someone will snap him up. He, he was fantastic. But they played some really good football, Rotherham, actually. It surprised me how good and fluent there. The rotations were in midfield. Barlaser, Wiles, Wiles, Rathbone looked really, really solid. Just got to get some goals. Got to tighten up a little bit defensively at a key moments. So. They'll be okay. They'll I be fine. So. I mean, you know, 
they've not had the best of starts to the new era since Paul Warren left. They've not won any of the last three. But they've had a good start to the season for what everybody anticipated they would do. And let's not forget as well, next up, that is a massive game, what they've got next weekend. Huddersfield at home, that is a really, really big one for both teams. Absolutely. Birmingham City 3, Bristol City nil. Blues with a great home win and some rotation in the team as well, showing that they're not relying on just 11 players. Troy Deeney, Janino Bakuna both dropping to the bench, but other players stepping up. George Hall in midfield. Um, the lesser spotted Harley Dean coming in in the middle of a back three and, and, and getting quite a lot of plaudits by all accounts. But it was uh, Austin Trusty with two goals. He's been on the left side of that back three all season on loan from Arsenal. He's been superb. Deion Sanderson as well, another player that's had mixed spells at different places. He did really well at Birmingham, didn't do so well with QPR. He did really well and got and got the third goal as well. So really, really good win for Birmingham. Starting to pick up some good form. Longello at left wing back, who's got some good reviews as well. He's had quite an injury hit pre-season, so we've not seen loads of him this season. But he started all three games in the last week and giving them some good whip from left wing back. It's um it's a good run of form now for for John Eustace's side, and I think that that you cannot underestimate the deadline day in additions of Titi Chong and, and Hannibal, who started in this one. Chong went up front, Hannibal played in midfield. It's just giving them a little bit of extra quality and a little bit of extra depth as well. Christian Bielik as well, who someone we've talked about, is adding quality in that midfield area too. Birmingham looking good under John Eustace and and looking on course to potentially um certainly have a better season than many predicted in preseason. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Birmingham, they've really found a bit of a tune in recent weeks, haven't they? They've gone up through the gears quite quickly. And obviously, they got that win at West Brom. They got the win on Saturday. Things have been rapidly improving. And Tahiti Chong has been central to it. And, you know, when he first came in at Birmingham on loan last season, I remember Birmingham fans, I remember reading tweets about it saying that they were the, he was the best player they'd ever seen in a Birmingham shirt. They loved him. They idolised him instantly. And obviously he got that horrible injury and it just disrupted his loan spell. He was never going to get in the first team picture at Old Trafford. It was never going to happen. Obviously joined Birmingham again permanently on, on deadline day. And it was just a match made in heaven because the fans loved him. On a five-year management... well, that was a big sign yeah, of favour. Big, big, big signing. So, you know, and Harneyball is a player that Man United really do rate. I remember Ralph Ranić when, obviously, because I cover Man United day in, day out. Ralph Ranić, when he first got the job on the interim basis last December, he got him in first-team training the day he arrived, straight away. He really rated him. But he never really got any minutes, which was surprising considering the mess Man United were in. But he's proven a really good sign. And Birmingham, you know, under John Eustace, we, we questioned how it was going to go. It was a it, not, not a questionable appointment, but it was certainly one that raised a few eyebrows in the sense that it maybe was a little bit underwhelming sort of thing. But I think so far, to his credit, bearing in mind that, you know, every Birmingham manager in the last few years has had to work under a very interested ownership. I think he's doing a very, very good job. And you look at their recent form, they've only lost one now of their last six games. They've won three in that time. I think they've kept three clean sheets as well. It's Home solid. It's definitely it, improving, isn't it? And that's going to be oh, big definitely. for if they're going to stay up. Yeah, they've taken four points on the last two at home. And, you know, Birmingham, they, as I said frequently, they've had to, their fans have had to put up with a lot of rubbish in recent years. And it would just be nice if they can just enjoy a year. You know, not, not saying they're going to chase the playoffs, but just... In mid-table, that would be satisfactory for Birmingham fans this year after the rubbish they've put up with over the last few seasons. But, you know, the start they've had, four wins, four draws, five defeats. It's pretty standard. It's pretty solid, I think. And, you know, 16 points from 13 games for them, for where they're at. 
I think that's a respectable achievement so far. They're only a point behind Watford, for goodness sake. So you really can't criticise them too much. So for John Eustace, I think he's doing a brilliant job and it's pleasing to see the fans that, you know, they've been able to get a smile on their face. And Birmingham are playing a decent brand of football as well, let's not forget. Set-piece obviously are proving crucial, but they're playing some nice stuff. So I think, all in all, Birmingham can be very pleased with the start they've had. And for John Eustace, I think he deserves a big pat on the back for the way he's gone in there, galvanised the group and got them playing in a, in, you know, in a decent, nice brand of football. Absolutely. Two games to go. Wigan Athletic 1, Cardiff City 3. Mark Hudson's audition for the job's gone pretty well this week with two wins, beating Blackburn 1-0 in midweek. Three one-winners at Wigan. I think it's quite clear that the quality and injection of talent Callum Robinson has has given to this Cardiff attack. He's been crucial in both victories, best player on the pitch in both games by all accounts. He got the first goal, nice link-up play, and then Shea Ojo and Ryan Wintle making sure the points either side of a Charlie White header. Do you think Mark Hudson should get the Cardiff job, or do you think they should just leave it right now? Why make a decision? See how things develop. I've been thinking about this, actually, this morning, because I've been doing some uh, social media stuff for our Twitter page and looking at Hudson's record, obviously, since he got the caretaker job replacing Steve Morrison. Seven points out of nine. Having played Burnley in that run, played Blackburn, Wigan doing decent, albeit not very well at home. He's certainly, you know, he's put his name in the ring. And let's be honest now, it's been nearly a month since Cardiff sacked Steve Morrison. So they're clearly not in any sort of rush to get a decision made. It was after the Huddersfield defeat that they, they sacked him. And that was, mm-hmm. I think, the 17th of September. International break. So it's, it's clear to me that they are quite happy, seemingly, to let things carry on as they are, leave Mark Hudson in interim charge because... How many times have we seen in the past that an interim manager's done well in the first three or four games, got the permanent job and it's quickly turned pear-shaped? So you don't really want to give Mark Hudson the hope of the job on a permanent basis for it to quickly fall apart and then get sacked a few months later. I think you just leave the things that are going at the minute because it's clear that he's getting a tune out of the players and they're clearly warming to what he wants from them. And, you know, it's a good at Wigan and win 3-1. I know Wigan have not been good at home this season. All their good fortunes have come away. But it's still, you know, a 3-1 win away from home in the Championship. Whoever you're playing is, is a great result. So, he's doing a really good job. Callum Robinson's coming alive now. He's starting to show exactly why they signed him. And, you know, they're starting to share the goals around a little bit because we wonder where the goals are going to come from. That was the biggest concern for Cardiff. He brought a lot of players in in the summer, but kind of missed a big-name striker from all what they did. Robinson, more of a winger, but he's producing the goods. That's the thing. He's delivering what you'd expect from a player of his quality. We know how good he can be at this level. And for Cardiff now, it's just a case of, can they continue to build on the momentum they've created under Mark Hudson? So he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done in the last few games. But I'm not sure if he's the right man to take it on a permanent basis. Certainly after three games, it's hard to judge so quickly. Next few games will be interesting because they've got Coventry at home, QPR away, Swansea away, Rotherham at home. So, you know, two very, very tough away games in there. But at home, although not easy against Coventry and Rotherham, they could be another opportunity, you know. Cardiff, they, they should be targeting six points from those two games. Yeah, I wouldn't worry if I was a Wigan fan because Blackburn are coming on, on Tuesday night. So that's the first home win guarantee because Blackburn only do win-loss, win-loss. So they should get their first home triumph on Tuesday night. Coventry City nil, Burnley won. A good win for Burnley and one they very much needed because after... Dropping a 1-0 lead at Cardiff. Dropping a 1-0 lead 
against Stoke in midweek. When you go into the final minutes, 1-0 up away at Coventry, I'm sure Burnley fans were fearing the worst. But after letting four points slip in the last week, they saw this one out. The winning goal, really nice touch from Nathan Teller to, to kill the ball, bring it under his spell, and a nice finish as well. He's been a reliable source of goals for Burnley in the opening weeks. It was just a game they had to get over the line and, and make sure they, they're not going to get this tag of a team that just can't hold on to a lead. It's weird, isn't it? It is a problem that's obviously set in. It, it, it's just weird because, you know, obviously they had that problem of every game at the start of the season being away from home. They got that first win against Middlesbrough last weekend. Obviously went to Bristol City, got a point, felt things were going to improve. But now when you look at it and reflect, they've scored one goal in three games for Coventry. It's, it's not great. That, that is obviously a problem that Mark Robbins has got to try and address. On the flip side, though, Burnley, they just continue to march on, don't they? And, you know, I questioned last week about their inability to kind of string a, a sequence of wins together because obviously quite a few draws have been in there. A, uh, get, stringing a sequence of draws together? Yeah, they're good at that, but obviously you need wins. But, you know, in the past week, obviously they, they were held late on by Stoke. Obviously they got the win though at Coventry, not albeit at their very best, but they found a way to win. And for Vincent Company, I don't think any manager that came into a club this summer had a bigger task to try and rip up the old and install the new in terms of transforming the style of play. So, you know, to have lost one game in 13 when you're doing that, that's that's bloody good going. Let's be honest. Vincent Company's done a really good job so far. And I might have been overcritical saying last week about their inability to string wins together. But they've lost one in 13. Nobody's lost fewer in the league so far than Burnley. So that deserves huge credit. But I just look at it and think five wins from 13. But then you look at Sheffield United, seven wins from 13 nobody has really been that consistent so far in terms of winning games week after week, except for Norwich's run of six in a row. So it's, it's proven a little bit indifferent in so far this season. But as I've said earlier on, for us as neutrals, this promotion race is looking like it's been really, really intriguing. You know, there's there's so little in it. I mean, we're, we're nearly in mid-October and between Sheffield United at the top and Wigan in 16th. There's eight points in it. It's ridiculous, really. I, and we said at the start of the season, didn't we? We didn't really censor a clear favourite that was going to stand head and shoulders above the rest and Clearly really not, pull given, away. Given that my, well, given my, my, current, my current title winners are sat in the uh, well, just one place above the relegation zone. And my title winners are in the relegation zone with their runners-up one place above them. But there we go. I'm looking forward to that season review at the end of the season. It's going to be great, isn't it? I but, had no, let's second, be honest. that's at least something. I didn't. I had them fourth. Um, but let's be honest, you know, Burnley, they've transformed the style. They, they are, you know, they're consistent in the fact they're not losing games. Just need to try and find a rhythm to be able to win games. And just one tiny last little criticism of Burnley, even though they're doing very, very well. I may be too critical here. Just think they need to find a way to just be able to put the ball in the back of the net a little bit more frequent. That's the only thing. But one last positive, though, Nathan Teller. Been very, very impressed by him. I think he's been a shrewd addition so far. He looks really promising. Millwall 2, Middlesbrough nil. Obviously, Middlesbrough getting an important win in midweek following the sacking of Chris Wilder, but things unravelling quite quickly against the Lions this weekend. It just seems for Middlesbrough, I don't understand what's happened defensively to them. They've been awful at the back all season and they've only strengthened that area, signing Lenehan on a free. Definitely some rotation in the side, but I think the biggest problem from from reading up on, on the sort of issues 
from people that watch Middlesbrough week in, week out. It seems the main problems are midfield creativity. And when you've got Matt Crooks, who's more of a goal scorer than a creator, if we're being fair, Johnny House is someone who can create from deep. Riley McGree's been good in spells this season. Alex Mowat's someone we would say is a creative midfielder from a deeper position. I don't understand why that's necessarily the case, but that seems to be the issue because they're not creating the chances we'd expect. Ryan Giles out the team at the minute with Mark Bowler playing in there, who's a more defensive wing back, but I think they just look that poor you know, defensively that they need a little bit more solidity in that position right now. I think a team playing at the best would have Giles and Jones bombing on, but they're, they're struggling at the back end. Two soft goals given away against Millwall, who were mild, have been, you know, again, they were awful at Blackburn, I thought, but a decent week for them with a point at Rotherham and getting a good win at home. They're a different side at home, aren't they, compared to on the road. But Middlesbrough, just, it's just a bit baffling. And, and where do they go from here in terms of the job as well? Obviously, Carlos Corberan, uh, Rob Edwards, Gary O'Neill, people that have been linked. I think Corbran for me, would be a, a, a really interesting fit and someone that I would like to see get that job, probably more than Edwards necessarily. But really interesting. And, and what, what's your take on Middlesbrough at the moment? Because obviously we never discussed Chris Wilder getting sacked. We spoke about it at length that he might get sacked and then he got sacked on Monday morning after we released the pod. It was inevitable, wasn't it? It was inevitable. I felt, you know, obviously disagreements had gone off behind the scenes, all was not healthy there. And, you know, Steve Gibson, he, he'd got to do something because there was an expectancy on Middlesbrough this season. But I go back to the whole point and I've, I've made myself look stupid probably now saying it, both of us really. We only went for Middlesbrough as a promoted contender because of the man in the dugout. And we did. Oh, Realistically, yeah. that, that squad was not top two I think it's a top contenders. six squad potentially still. Top two, no chance. No, not really. I don't think. And I don't mean that with any disrespect. We were doing that purely off the base of Chris Wilder and his ability to develop every single player for the better that he's, he's ever worked with, really. And it just didn't work. And obviously, they, they sacked him on Monday. They then got the win against Birmingham in the week. Big win. Got to do something. Back to Millwall on, on Saturday. Beaten. You know, with two soft goals, really. Really poor goals to concede from a Middlesbrough so perspective. soft goals. They I have. think of the QPR game where they were 3-0 down. They were they were all horrific goals to concede. Yeah. Three clean sheets this season in 13 games. It's not good. They've all been at home as well. So they, they've got mega issues. They're yet to win on the road, let's say that as well. So I think the decision to relieve Chris Wilder of his duties was the correct one. And now what do they do next? That's the question. Because, you know, Middlesbrough, you think about what they've done in recent years. They've tried a little bit of everything with the managers, haven't they? Mm. They've had the experience of Tony Pulis. They've had the experience of promotion winning contender, uh, credentials of Chris Wilder. The young and up and coming in Jonathan Woodgate. Supposedly the next big thing in, in Gary Monk a few years back. They've tried a bit of everything on, along every avenue and possible path that they could go down. And it's just not worked. And we know a club of Middlesbrough stature that the ultimate aim is to get back to the Premier League. That is the ambition that they have every single season. But they're a long, long way off that on current evidence. And this next appointment, you know, it could be really, really crucial in their long-term sort of aspirations of what they want to do. Do they want somebody to come in and storm their way through the league like Steve Cooper did at Nottingham Forest last year and still go up this year? Or do they want somebody to come in and oversee a project of two or three years and gradually develop in the squad? So I really don't know who Who would be the best fit for this job. I honestly don't know. I honestly don't off know. Off the fence. Give me a name. Off I'd the go fence. Carlos Corbram, I think. 
Well, I'm not, I've known, right now. personally, I think he would be one of the better shouts. I really do. There's talk this morning as we record on Sunday, Michael Carrick's name gathering pace. I personally wouldn't go down that route. I think it's a big risk, big risk. But every manager is appointed at risk. We said that with QPR going for Mick Bill and look how well that's turned out I so think if far. if they were sat in mid-table and they sat wilder because they weren't getting anywhere near the... T- they wanted promotion, but they were sat in mid-table, I think Carrick would be better. They could... like They're in the they bottom could be three. Like, there's yeah. one place above the bottom three. Yeah. I think it's... At the, at the end of the day, we have always said, and the majority of football fans say it, you can get a clear indicator of the league and how things are going to go after 10 games. We're 13 games in now. We're, we're past the point of the table settling down and the season beginning. We're past that point. We're nearly in mid-October now. Middlesbrough and West Bromwich Albion are both in that, in that pack at the bottom for a reason. They are genuinely in trouble. They are, you know, even though there is a general expectancy that they will eventually get out of it and their seasons will come alive, at the end of the day, they've won four games out of 26 this season between them. It's not good enough. They are in deep trouble, the pair of them. So Middlesbrough have got to act, you know, they've got to act fast, but they've also got to act in a way that they get it right. That's that's the kind of balancing act they've got to get. They need somebody to come in, a fresh set of eyes, a fresh ideas, but also they've got to take the time and getting it right. And we might as well touch on them while they're down here. West Bromwich Albion, how Steve Bruce is still clinging on, I do not know. I yeah, really don't know. Draw, draw with Luton. By his own admission, he said in midweek, if they didn't beat Luton, he thought that his position would be seriously under threat. Nil, nil, draw. We shall see. Should he survive? No, I don't think so. No, I really don't think so. I know, I know. There's been, you know, to his credit, ever so slightly, the performances have been better than the results have suggested. But when you're in a run like this, one win in thirteen, it's obvious that all is not healthy. The players are clearly not, you know, they're not adhering to to what he wants. It isn't working for a team with that much quality in it as well. Let's not forget they've got some very, very good individuals in that squad. They should be doing a hell of a lot better. So for me, I am astounded that he's still there. I really expect him to go after that Preston defeat in midweek. I would agree, and I think there's some decent managers out there that I, I would. I honestly, I wouldn't rule out personally. Would they be tempted to give Chris Wilder an immediate return to management? I think so. Given that he was, I, given they that wanted he sh- him, he should have got the job. Yeah. You know, it's not the first time they called. I think Chris exactly. Wilder being out there, I think I could see that as an instant. I could. But again, you know, it, they've got issues weird. behind the scenes where transfers haven't necessarily That's been true. Chris Wilder's gaining a bit of a reputation for someone that can chuck the toys out the pram. Yeah, that that is very true. There's a lot going on in the championship at the minute. We you you've got to look at obviously Cardiff is still on the hunt for a manager. Middlesbrough is still looking. Obviously, West Brom could be about to change things there. Rotherham have just come out of a lengthy search to find Paul Warren's successor. You know, it's been an absolutely bizarre start to the season. And I would honestly say that this, you know, this this season so far, in terms of results, how tight it is at the top, managerial changes and sackings, I think it has become so far the most unique championship season in history. I've would never you, known anything like this. Would you like a bonkers stat to, to round off this section very nicely? Go on then. Mick Beale is currently the eleventh longest serving manager in the championship. And he got Steve the job Bruce in is the ninth. June. Yeah, and Steve Bruce is the ninth, having been appointed in February. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We'll now move on to our shocks and bankers to round off the pod, looking ahead to the games next weekend. Obviously there are a couple of games in midweek, but only two to pick from. So 
Looking ahead to next week, George, as we always do, who are you going for? Well, for my banker for, for Saturday's games, I'm going to go with Reading to beat West Brom at the midday, uh, select car leasing stadium, I should say. Reading, you know, beating at QPR uh, on Friday night, but at home have been very, very good so far. Got a good point against Norwich in the week. So I can see Reading winning that one, unless perhaps West Brom make a change and they're fired up for it with a new set of ideas casting over it. My shock, I'm going to go with Swansea to win at Burnley. Swansea have been really, you know, going through the gears in recent weeks. Got a lot of momentum behind them. Not been an easy game, this one. Be the hardest of the crop they've faced recently. But just got a feeling Swansea could go to turf more and get a good result. So Swansea's my shock and Reading for my banker. I struggled for a shock this week badly. And in the end, I have actually gone for Swansea to win at Burnley, just like you. But I, I struggled for a shock deeply. But I, I'm, I've matched you up and I've gone for Swansea to win at Burnley. My banker... I'm going for Rotherham United to beat Huddersfield. Now, I forgot to mention earlier in the pod, we're recording this on Sunday morning uh, due to work schedule. So we've not seen how Huddersfield have gone on against Hull City. So that's why we've not covered that game on the pod this week. Um, so it's I don't really know what state Huddersfield will be in in terms of today's result as we record on Sunday. But from what I saw from Rotherham at the weekend and what I've seen from Burnley, from Burnley, from Huddersfield earlier this season... I have to say, I think Rotherham at home should get three points against Huddersfield, who haven't travelled very well. Decent three-all draw in the week, but generally still waiting to see them do anything away from home. So I'm going to go for Rotherham to beat Huddersfield as my banker, and my shock is Swansea to beat Burnley at Turf Moor. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, leave a review, it always helps, and share with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Make sure you're subscribed to wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll get the latest episode every single week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChadPot24. A huge thanks to our, again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out. And thank you for listening once again. We'll catch you next Monday for another week. We'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.